0: That's ljsinnercircle.com, or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Today on the podcast, I'm talking about three questions that I find myself continually asking our members in our Inner Circle membership that I want you to start asking yourself as well, and I believe if you start asking these three questions, you're going to start making faster improvement in your jazz playing, so let's talk about it. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. Hey, what's up everybody? Brent here from Learn Jazz Standards, Well musicians just like you learn how to play jazz all while shortening the learning curve, no matter what instrument you play. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, my friends. Thank you so much for being here, by the way. I never take it for granted. So, if you're a longtime listener of the show, welcome back. Really do appreciate you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. If you're a brand new listener, so glad to have you here. We do all kinds of tutorials here on jazz, how to improve, how to practice. Uh, how to get better at improvising, like all the stuff that you want to know. We've covered it here on the podcast and continue to cover more things. So make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd love to uh, just keep serving you. So today I want to talk about, like I mentioned in the intro, I want to talk about these three questions that I continually am asking our members in our inner circle. And for those of you who aren't aware, we do have an inner circle membership where, um, we study jazz standards together. Of course, there's courses, there's all kinds of great stuff to help you play better. But one thing that's really fun about it is we have a a really kind of thriving community of over 1,500, um, musicians playing all sorts of instruments. So it's a very active forum where people are posting their recordings of their playing. They're sharing their progress through courses or the monthly jazz standard studies that we do. They're encouraging each other. Um, They're giving feedback to one another. They're you know, really growing as a group, and it's even fun because some of them kind of become friends, and some of them even do recording projects and post it in the community. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a good time in there, and then of course, me and um, another member of my team goes and we we check out different posts and we leave feedback and and comments and do a little bit of coaching and we leave encouragement. So we're in there as well, of course, and. After doing this for over two and a half years, and then many years before that, you know, when we used to just do one one off courses, there were still communities in those courses. And so I was doing a lot of the same things in those as well. But two and a half years of the Inner Circle membership, after doing this for a long time, week after week, I've noticed that there are three questions. That I continually keep asking our members in hopes of a response. And of course, many do respond. But before I talk about those three questions, why do I ask questions in the very first place? So this is kind of getting a little bit geeky when we're talking about teaching jazz and jazz education. But one thing that I like to think of is I like to think of myself more as a jazz coach, than a jazz teacher, and I guess the difference between the two of them is a teacher. I think is someone who primarily takes on the role of helping you learn new material, right? Helping you learn new concepts and um, things that will help you obviously improve because you have to learn certain skill sets, right? And very much so, that is what we do in the inner circle. We we basically that is what our membership is, right? But when it comes to Me, right, when I'm interacting with the other members in there, I like to think of myself as a coach, as well as another member of our team. He also acts as a coach. And to me, a coach is a little bit different than a teacher. A coach is someone who is helping you find the answers, helping you find a path forward, basically being a guide. And that doesn't always look like me telling you exactly what you should do, but it more so is me helping you ask the right questions or me shining lights on specific things where you can then go out and make little bits of adjustments in order to approve. Okay. So that's what I really think of when I think about my role with my students, right? At this point, I don't have any private students. I, I stopped doing that a long time ago. I just focus really on our inner circle members. So yeah, I, it's it's just a different philosophy for me. And I've talked about that before on this podcast. Uh, for that episode, I talk about my whole philosophy on uh, on teaching, teaching music and teaching jazz. But yeah, teacher is someone who teaches you new skills. A coach is someone who helps you and guides you and asks the right questions for you to help yourself improve. Hope that makes sense. So that's why I ask these questions, and inevitably, it's I just start asking the same questions over and over again, and I also will ask these same questions to the same people over and over again as they keep posting recordings of themselves playing, um, as they keep making progress through different elements of whatever they happen to be working on musically, right? So let's go over those questions. And the reason, by the way, we're talking about this, of course, is, you know, it doesn't matter if you're one of our inner circle members or not. I want you to be asking yourself these questions as you're practicing, as you're working on new things, because I truly do believe that if you're asking these questions, you are going to probably improve a lot faster than if you had not been asking these questions, because thinking critically about You're playing and what you're doing. And some of this mindset stuff, to me, is what makes the difference, okay? So, the very first question that I ask is, number one, what did you learn slash what were your insights, okay? What did you learn slash what were your insights, okay? So, I often ask this question after someone... Let's say, for example, one thing we do in our Inner Circle membership is we study a new jazz standard every single month. And there are a bunch of different resources we provide, but one of them is an etude, which is basically a composed solo. So you can learn some jazz language, right? And so a member will post themselves playing that etude and... You know, everybody will be there encouraging, saying great things and all that stuff. And let's just say perhaps they actually nailed it. Like they performed the etude perfectly, which, by the way, happens quite often. Well, I asked the question, well, what did you learn or what were the insights from learning that etude that you're going to take away with you? Right. And the reason I asked this question is because so often we work on a piece of music, a song, an exercise, And we don't really ever think very critically about what we've just done or the little tiny gains that we've made from that, because the likelihood is after learning that etude, you may have not necessarily, um, you know, you're not going to automatically be playing all those licks and lines organically in your solos, right? Sometimes it's a small thing, right? Like the way my fingers moved on my instrument was different, or I, I got some muscle memory or I got some further insight for um, how to play my instrument in this particular way. Or I never thought about how to approach a five, one chord progression like that. Like that was an interesting approach, or I never knew I could resolve to a chord tone quite like that. Or, you know, sometimes it's, this was the very first time I've ever learned anything by ear before. And then they can list off a bunch of insights just from doing that. Um, One of our courses revolves a lot around taking different elements of, of the blues into different keys. And so often here, when I ask this question to people, there is people will talk about how the key of G sharp feels different than the key of C, for example. Right. And. Just by changing the key, playing the exact same material, somehow a section of their brain was unlocked or something that they were playing in a different key suddenly made sense and there's this aha moment. So this is a really important question. And just to give you more of an example, because obviously I've given you some just by me talking about it, I thought it would be cool to share this little clip from... One of our members who gave me permission to share this, her name is Ashley, and she recently finished our 30 Steps to Better Jazz Playing course, which we have in our membership, which is, it's basically a practice program, Um, helps guide you through these 30 steps where you're learning tunes and you're learning solos by ear and you're learning licks and you're doing technical exercises and she plays the ukulele. And so she finished this course and this is what she said, which I thought was really cool, insightful, and a perfect example of what asking this question can help reveal to you.
1: What did I learn in the 30 Steps to Better Jazz Playing course? Well, I learned a whole lot about the notes on my ukulele fretboard because I have been avoiding that for a while, (laughs) and especially getting in that higher range too because just with how the how a lot of the licks were written and the exercises it forced me to to not just stay around, you know, middle C to um to an octave above that. I really had to start learning about up the neck as well, which is great. My fingers feel like they can move more, for sure. Um, move more fluidly. I still make a ton of mistakes and I kind of ended up making my my own hybrid version of the path two option, but ended up kind of losing the lick part, um, losing the jazz solo creation part just because the other parts were pretty tricky for me, but I'm okay with that. Um, that was another thing that I learned is I don't have to be a hyperachiever all the time. <laughs> um, I realized that I just needed to make my own level and I'm really proud of myself for getting through all of those licks, all of the, um, the scale exercises, the arpeggio exercises, those were those were a good challenge. And now I look forward to maybe starting to actually do some of the solo creation. That I decided was a little bit beyond my reach the first time around. So yeah, glad I did this course and definitely noticing a difference in my fingers. Thanks.
0: So there were so many things that Ashley just mentioned there that she learned and took away from working through all this material. A big one that she talked about was the technical ability on her instrument, right? Being able to discover parts of the fretboard that she had never gotten to tackle before until she started working through this stuff, feeling like she could move her fingers better. She talked about learning the skill of adjusting a practice plan to fit her life better, to fit her needs a little bit better. And honestly, even though that's not one of the most sexy things to talk about, I think that that's one of the most important things you can do if you really want to improve as a musician. I often have said on this show before that some of the best Jazz musicians in the world have mastered the art of practicing. They don't just work on playing music better. They work on their practicing because they know that the practicing is what eventually is what's going to get them the results, the musical freedom that they're seeking, right? So she also mentioned something interesting, which I think was important for her to think about. She didn't feel like some of the more jazz improv elements that were going on in the course, which, by the way, is normally what people talk about when they talk about what they took away from this particular course. She mentioned that some of that she wasn't able to feel as comfortable or access as well simply because of her technical deficiencies on her instrument. But the great thing is that she's recognized that the seeds have been planted, and now that she's really broken down a lot of barriers in her technical ability, she's essentially dramatically reduced the friction between her and the thing that she needs to get to next with that jazz improv, soloing more, all those things that she's after. She has big time gotten closer to that goal, and there are other things in there, and the reason why I wanted to share this with you is simply because it's such a good example of really thinking about this. Some, some part of me wonders if she actually scripted this or something, because it seemed like she had really thought about what she learned. And now she can start making a plan of how to go forward. And now she can be mindful of those things that she wants to take with her into the next thing that she's going to do. So, super important question to ask. So, the question again is, what did you learn slash what were the insights? And you could do an audio journal similar to what Ashley did, or you could literally keep a practice journal, or if that's just not something you like to do, simply making the habit of spending some time after you're practicing to think about what you've learned or something that you found interesting will help you remember that so that you can take it going forward. Okay, so... Second question that I find myself often asking our inner circle members is, what is the next thing you're going to do? Okay? What's the next thing that you're going to do? And I know that this sounds a bit like a simple question, but there's a reason why literally I should probably just create a shortcut key to keep posting this whenever a member says they've finished something or they've done something, right? Because the power of this question is when we think about progressing as a musician, especially when it comes to jazz, which is Uh, an art form that requires this continual exploration because it involves improvisation, which involves constantly challenging your creativity and trying to dive deeper into your creativity, right? It means that we have to continue moving to the next thing, uh, especially if we're finding that the things that we learned or the insights that we gained, right, that we need to continue that path forward. So I'm constantly asking this question, right? Okay, great. Now that you've done that, amazing. Let's sit down. Let's feel good about ourselves. But what's the next thing that we're going to do, right? How are we going to continue pursuing this energy? Because one thing that I've noticed is that those who constantly are frustrated with their progress, uh, many of them, not all of them, but many of them tend to go through what I call cycles, and the cycle goes like this. You start out, you're super excited. You probably way overdo it, practice way too much. You're going crazy. You're trying to do all the things. You're getting obsessed. Then you finish a huge project, like you learned a solo, like you learned some jazz standards. And then you get to the bottom of that and you're pretty burnt out and you feel tired. And it wasn't a very long period of time, and you're way, way too in it, and so you weren't really able to see as much progress as you thought. You get frustrated, and you're also not sure what you're going to do next, so therefore you don't really move on, and you kind of stop for a while, and you're kind of sitting on that plateau for a while until eventually you go through another cycle like that, right? And what we like to talk about, and I talk about on this podcast a lot, is how do we sustain that momentum? right? How do we keep excited? That's one reason, by the way, we study one jazz standard a month in the inner circle. is because it's something tangible. And so perhaps that's something that you can think about as well. It's like, what is a tangible thing that I can accomplish every single month, right? Um, That I can continually do over and over and over and over and over again, where I won't get burnt out because I'm practicing too much, or I won't get burnt out because I'm trying to spread myself too thin with too many different topics, right? So, This is really important to ask, and I always hope to hear an answer, a very specific answer about what the next thing they're going to do is, because when we're constantly asking ourselves that question, not only are we taking action, right? We're more likely to take action, to do the next thing, to keep riding the momentum. We're probably going to start thinking about the thing that we should be doing more than anything else, right? Right. The things that we've been learning. The insights that we've gained, right? That first question I asked, how do we keep building on that? And what were the things that were working? How do we continue that train and thought, right? So it's going to help you think more critically about what the next thing you're going to do is, right? So that's the second question I continuously am asking our members. The third question is probably the most important question that I ask, okay? And... This question is, what did you like and what didn't you like about your playing? Okay. So someone, for example, will post a recording of their improvisation over the jazz standard we're studying in the month, right? And they're, they're playing it, right? And they're sharing it. But the question that needs to be asked is, what was good and what wasn't so good, right? So why, why do I ask students this? Again, you may notice that I'm not necessarily asking or telling them what is good and what's bad. Sometimes I do that, of course, if there's something very obvious, like, hey, I've noticed that you keep, keep on recording and posting your, your progress here, but I keep hearing these very short, broken up lines. I need you to play longer flowing eighth note lines that go over the bar line. Here is an exercise to do that. Absolutely, have to do that. But it's more important to actually teach someone how to self evaluate their playing. That's, again, that's to me the difference between a teacher and a coach. Um, What's that whole saying about if you give someone a fish, right, they'll eat for a day? If you teach someone how to fish, they'll, you know, have food for a lifetime, something along those lines. And I guess that's kind of the the spirit behind this question what did you like and what did you not like about your playing so let's let's talk about that for a second so why do we ask what do we like about our playing so even if you're someone who listens back to your jazz playing and is like wow i don't like what i'm hearing i'm constantly not liking the lines that are coming out of my horn my trumpet my piano my bass my guitar right you know What we want to do is step back away from that mindset for the first thing that we do when we're evaluating our playing and we want to really think about what do we actually like and the reason we want to do that is because there is most certainly something there that you want to build upon there's a certain idea that you played there was a certain good feeling that you got when you played this one part there was this movement, this thing in your hands that felt good. There was this melodic idea that stood out to you. There was, There is this, this idea that you continuously play over and over again that you're actually not upset about playing, right? What is that? And get very specific about what that is. Because, my friends, this is where the real gold is, right? We often think about the, the next question is, what did you not like? Well, we think about that one first. But I'm, I'm saying we should think about this one first, because if we are defining what we do like, that means we can start doubling down on what that is. We can double down on the things that we do like about our playing. It means that we should rehearse the things that we like a lot more. It means like we literally should learn that part of our solo by ear. We should transcribe ourselves, essentially, right? We should figure out what it is. What are we actually doing? We should tap into that. We should listen to ourselves playing that over and over again. We should maybe take that into some other keys if we want to do some of that deep work, right? We should compose more solos, slow the improvisation process down, implementing some of those things that we actually do like. We're trying to double down on it, right? And the reason we want to do this is because the stuff that we are playing naturally is more likely to come out in our jazz solos and our comping and our bass lines and all that, right? And we want to make more natural things that we like by learning jazz language and learning new voicings and all the stuff that we do in the practice room. But we all, no matter what level you're at, have something that is good about our playing that we're going to want to build upon. So we want to be composing our own solos and figuring out all, all, all that stuff. We want to be transcribing ourselves, listening back to our own playing, figuring all that stuff out, because that's where the real gold is at. And if you can get very good at that process, if you get very good at, that, at identifying what you like and trying to de- dive deeper into that, you're going to start liking more and more and more and more of the stuff that you're doing. But of course, like I mentioned, there's the second question is, what did you not like? And I definitely talked about this a little bit in episode 374. I talk about, um, you know, what prevents you from achieving your jazz goals? And one of the things I do talk about is this question, because I also do hear folks in our inner circle post recordings, and they've been doing it for a long time, and they're improving, no doubt. But there's this one aspect of their playing that they're still not making any progress on. Okay. There's this one aspect and it could be many different things. It could be their time feel. It could be their, um, longer flowing eighth note lines. Like they're playing two short choppy lines. I often criticize, not criticize, but I often mention that one to members, right? How do we play longer flowing eighth note lines? Or, hey, I'm still not hearing the chord changes. We need to go back to the chord tones. We need to go back to figuring out resolutions to the chord tones. We need to work on some of these exercises. We need to compose our own solos using chord tones. So we go back to that, right? Because this is something that's missing over and over and over again. And so if you're not able to identify that, right? What you didn't like or what was less than ideal, then that means you're not aware of the problem. And if you're not aware of the problem, that means you can't take definitive action to actually correct it, right? And it's an uncomfortable process. Like, we don't like doing this. I, I get it. And this is where the coaching process does get difficult because it's, it's hard, even for me, it's hard in any area of my life to make an adjustment that goes outside of my comfort zone. I have to make a very definitive choice to face that, right? I have to approach that situation and decide I want to change it, right? I have to decide I want to play the chord tones more, right? I have to decide that that's what I want to focus on, even if that means for a little while some of the things that make me feel really confident while I'm playing, I'm going to have to sort of put those on the side a little bit. I'm going to have to really just kind of you know, dig out this certain area to figure it out more. So you have to get really good at also asking yourself that second question, which is, what am I not good at? Or what did not sound good? What didn't feel right to me? Because that's that's where we can start making the other decisions, right? And it helps influence those other questions, right? Like, so what's the next thing you should do, right? Well, the next thing you should do perhaps should be the thing that you're not so good at, Right you know, when we're able to identify that, right? Or the, what did you learn and what insights question, right? Well, I learned this particular topic. Oh yeah, and the thing that I don't really like that much is this. Okay, those two can go together, right? And that way we can get really, really exact about how we want to improve as musicians, right? And notice here, all this conversation today, it's not about like, Hey, like, this is a particular solo that you need to learn, right? You have to learn Miles Davis's solo on It Could Happen to You, right? You have to learn Charlie Parker's solo on Now's the Time because once you learn that solo then you'll get it, right? It's this is not the convert this is not the talk that we're having right now or we're not talking about like hey if you only just knew more music theory, here's a music theory concept and apply this music theory concept. That's good stuff. All of it's good. There's nothing bad, really. Like that you can, like there's almost nothing really that's bad to learn when it comes to music, right? Unless it's just completely incorrect obviously. But The questions we're asking is like, what should we be doing? What should we be focusing on? How can I actually improve? What is the short track, you know, shorten the learning curve situation to me getting to that playing? Because- You know, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, I know that's your goal. Your goal is you want to play jazz and music and improvise freely. And you just you daydream about it, right? You daydream about sitting up there with your saxophone, going to a jam, not feeling scared, feeling confident, playing a solo. People are like literally coming up to talk to you afterwards. Um, Even if you're an introvert, you probably have this like thought like you want people like let's just if you're like, like busking outside, in on the street, you want people to stop and turn their head and go, holy crap, that guy is really good, right? That's, that's what we really want to do. And so we're all trying to figure out like, how do we shorten that, that learning curve, right? Because no matter what you do, it's going to take a long time, but right. We don't want this to take we don't want us to wait forever until we're like, hey, I'm proud of that. I mean, and, and the truth is, we can start feeling proud of ourselves today. I just mentioned that. You can literally today listen back to your recording and go like, hey, I really like that by my playing. Let's double down on that, right? But I'm talking about that bigger picture thing, right? So we want to be thinking about these three questions. And just to review again, the three questions are, number one, what did you learn? What are your insights from the thing that you just did? Number two, what's the next thing you now want to do? What? What's the next thing you're going to do? And number three, what did you like and what did you not like about what you played, right? They're very simple questions, but they're simple questions that could save you a lot of practice time, uh, a lot of those cycles that I'm talking about, and a lot of like plateaus or just really in general feelings of you know not having fun playing music. Which we've all been there before, and we really don't want to have that experience because music should be about having fun and having a good time. Okay. So, my challenge for you this week is to consider asking yourself those questions and find one thing that you're going to accomplish this week and make it your goal to ask those questions after you're done doing that thing. All right, that's all for today's show. Thanks for tuning in. Really do appreciate you. Hope you learned something today. It's always my goal in this podcast is just to help you out. Now, obviously, I talk a lot about the inner circle today. Uh, certainly, if you'll find that helpful, go to ljsinnercircle.com and uh, would love to have you join us. We have a lot of fun over there as uh, hopefully, hopefully you're seeing. <laughs> we mostly just have fun over there, I think. Um, and by the way, I, I feel like just doing this little random tangent here. You know, I do talk a lot about the inner circle and I want people to sign up for the inner circle. And to be blunt, of course, because it's a financial interest to me, my company, um, but also because... Yeah, that is really where I'm able to help people the most improve. It's really kind of where our best stuff is. So that's part of it. All that being said, like when you go to lgsinnercircle.com and you check out, you know, more information about the membership and you're like, you know, actually that's not something I'm looking for or, you know, I actually I'm just benefiting from Brent's podcast just fine and then that's totally cool because that's also what I'm here to do too. So I my main goal of this podcast and everything I do is just to help you learn and improve. So uh, I don't know. I felt like giving that little tangent today because while I always will love to have you join the inner circle, I also want to make sure it's the right environment for you, right? I'm not really interested in having you there if it's not going to benefit you, right? So Just some thoughts to end the podcast off today. Of course, we're gonna be coming out with another great episode of the podcast very, very soon. So always make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is, hit the subscribe button and uh, we'll see you back next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. To the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask. That's LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask.